Let's open the Word of God to John chapter 1 again and remind ourselves of that great statement that John the Baptist made about the Lord Jesus Christ on day 2 and day 3 of the four days of John chapter 1. John 1 and verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. Then in verse 35, again, again, the next day after, John stood, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, with an exclamation point. We go a few verses further and we find the Lord Jesus Christ. We read of him finding Philip. So we have Jesus as a lamb in verse 29 and 36. And we have Jesus as a shepherd in verse 43. As urban Americans in 2016, we are very ignorant of the nature of lambs and sheep and their use. The Jews that heard John the Baptist in A.D. 26 were intimately familiar with all aspects of them. The traits, the facts, the lessons that I'm going to share with you, while I'll often use the word lambs, will sometimes be referring to sheep, so I use the words, the word lambs representatively. During the 1500 plus years of Israel, the church of God, under Moses' law, the Jews slaughtered around or over 400 million sheep and lambs. Because we don't know about all the free will offerings. Just looking at the required sacrifices approaches 400 million, as our CPA showed us recently. Jesus submitted meekly and quietly to the rage of enemies and was slaughtered for us at Calvary. I have long intended a study of lambs and sheep and a field trip for those that want to see them. There are many lessons to be learned and we can have a better appreciation for the Word of God if we know a little bit about lambs and sheep and shepherds. There are many other insignificant or smaller lessons that could be brought than the ones I'm going to share with you. And I have far more material than we have time. I've reviewed between 800 and 900 verses this past week that use any one of the 15 or 20 words in the Bible for sheep farming whether it's fleece or wool or ewes or rams or lambs, shepherds, sheep coats, sheep folds. The, the Bible's filled with there's 900 verses. From Genesis chapter 3 and 4 to the last chapter of the Bible, right. where Jesus is called the Lamb of God a couple of times in Revelation chapter 22. Lambs, sheep, flocks, and shepherds are seen throughout the entire Word of God. It was an industry that was one of the largest industries 
especially for that part of the world, and used by the people of God, and referred to by God's prophets, Jesus, and God's apostles in describing, by metaphor, the relationship that we have with God. And if we don't understand sheep or lambs at all, we miss some of the beauty. Miscellaneous facts, and let me get these out of the way. Raising sheep is one of the oldest industries we know of in the Bible and by human history. For the first shepherd was Abel. Sheep were first used for meat, skins, milk, and wool. Ever have a lambskin jacket, Nathan? Philip? A black leather jacket that's made of lambskin is of a different level than ordinary cow leather. It's just one of the little things that uh, we run into sheep. We don't run into much about sheep anymore in our country. It's been a serious change since the end of World War II when we reached the largest number of sheep in America. It's just collapsed. The whole industry has basically collapsed in America. Sheep were used for meat, you know, leg of lamb or mutton when it's over 14 months old, skins, milk, and wool. It makes the best leather. The world has over a billion sheep in 900 breeds. China has the most. California has the most in our country. Listen to this. This is what's happened. This is so different from Bible times. Americans eat 87 pounds of chicken in a year, 65 pounds of beef, 51 of pork, 17 of turkey, but only one of lamb. That's a huge change. They didn't eat barn rats back then with wings, okay? Uh, that's Chick-fil-A, sorry. Uh, the change. Huge change. Amer- uh, sheep in America are one-eighth of what they were just uh, 70 years ago at the end of World War II due to synthetic threads, so we don't need wool, and promotion of other meats. You know, you've never seen an ad on television for, you know, get down to some fast food chain and get your sheep burger or lamb burger, or anything like that. It's just, it's just changed. Wool is durable, insulating, wrinkle and fire resistant, moisture absorbing, but it's declining in use. The Bible tells us, Job chapter 31 and verse 20, that wool warms the skin. And Job took care of poor people by giving them wool clothing. Sheep are shorn annually. A year's growth is about eight pounds of wool. One pound can make ten miles of yarn. The best-known cheese to Americans from sheep milk is feta. Though sometimes Americans, you know, cheat with everything they can, will make it from cow's milk. Lamb meat is called just that, lamb. Meat from a grown sheep outside the first year is called mutton. George Washington raised them at Mount Vernon. Woodrow Wilson grazed them on the front of the White House to keep the grass trimmed. Because they're grazers, not browsers. You can look up the difference. Sheep are animals over one year of age, or 14 months, depending on who you're reading. Lambs are animals less than a year. The life expectancy is 6 to 11 years. The mature weight for female ewes run from 90 to 300 pounds. Males from 150 to 400 pounds, depending on the breed, depending on the age, depending on the nutrition. Sheep produce milk. Other nations drink it. The Bible lists it, and it makes great gourmet cheese. It's in the Bible. 
Deuteronomy 32, 14, the milk of sheep. When was the last time you had sheep milk? Been a while. By the way, what's a female sheep called? A U. How's it spelled? E-W-E. Now, my father's told me this story since I was a little boy about the Bible college and seminary that he came from of a man being questioned before his ordination and having to read scripture and answer questions and the poor man landed upon a verse with a female sheep in it. And the nerves of the situation caused him to read Ewe. <laughs> my, my dad's told me that since I was a little tiny boy about a, a poor man pre- preparing for the ministry to get caught reading a passage like that and pronounce it as Ewe. They're ewes. And the, the word's in the Bible. A female sheep is a ewe. A male is a ram or a buck. A castrated male is a weather. The young are lambs. Weather, W-E-T-H-E-R. Puberty is around eight months for both rams and ewes. Breeding is once or twice a year with one to three in their litters. Sheep are ruminants, meaning that they have a four-chamber stomach and they regurgitate the cud and chew the cud after it's been broken down by gastric juices and bacteria. Very different from dogs and pigs. You know, dogs and pigs, it goes in and goes out. Cows and goats and sheep cough up a cud and rechew it after it's been partially dissolved. They only have lower teeth to press against their upper palate. Their field of vision is over 300 degrees. They do not have to move their head to almost see in a complete circle. If on their back, they cannot get up and must be helped, or they'll die usually within an hour. So if you see a sheep on its back, help it up. Healthy lambs can stand within minutes after birth and can move with the flock almost immediately. They have good memories and can recall at least 50 individual sheep or human faces two years later. Now there's much more that could be said. They're defenseless and they don't fight. And we'll see that if we get to see some shearing. The Word of God. Let's just pull a few lessons from lambs from the Bible. Jesus is the Lamb of God. We don't appreciate that like all those of the Jordan River would have appreciated that. John, our apostle that's writing for us the gospel that we're studying at this time, used the Lamb of God as a title for Jesus many times. I've told you that no one else does it. Paul never used the word Lamb in all of his epistles. Peter used it once in a different sense. But John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God twice in the Gospel of John, and used it 28 times with a capital L in our King James Bibles in the book of Revelation. John loved this name and title, and he saw his Lord as such in heaven when God held in his right hand, sitting on the throne, the book written on the inside and the outside and sealed with seven seals. No man could open the book. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth could open the book. John wept. John is comforted that one has been found to open the book, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And John turned and saw in the midst of the throne, it is a wonderful passage, in the midst of the throne, a lamb as it had been slain. That would be a lamb with its coat stained with its own blood. And the barbers, when they miss this afternoon and clip a sheep, 
you are going to see that red, that red stain appear on that white coat instantly. I've seen it before as a lad, and it's been a long time, and I'm looking forward to this. He, he saw a lamb with fatal wounds as it had been slain, a slaughtered lamb, but glorified back, standing in the midst of the throne in heaven. And that's the picture that John saw of the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but he looked like a slain Lamb of God. We want to remember that. Jesus is the Lamb for being the docile, humble sacrifice put to death by others. You're going to see men be able to grab these full-grown sheep weighing a couple hundred pounds, put them on their side and their back, flip them around and zip that wool off them, and they won't fight. When, what do you think would happen if you took yourself a, a collie? Collies are gentle animals. Throw that thing down its side and take a pair of shears and give it a crew cut over its entire body. Would it resist? Horribly. Terribly different. The Lord picked this animal. How many field trips have I taken the church on in 30 years? I want you to see sheep if you want to go with me. A man can just wrestle them around and throw them to the ground. And they won't fight back like a dog. The Bible warns us, don't even take a dog by its two ears. If you take a dog and grab it by its two ears, what's going to happen to your face? But not a sheep. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Because he went so quietly and docilely to his crucifixion. He could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have defended himself, but he didn't. He's the Lamb of God for his meek and quiet submission to such a brutal death. Jesus fulfilled the implied lamb that Abraham and Isaac needed. He fulfilled the Passover lamb that they killed every year to put blood over the door of their homes. In Egypt, when the, the angel of death of the Lord went through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn in every house and barn... But the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites when he saw the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And when we get to heaven, you're going to be thankful for the Passover lamb that's going to be standing there at the right hand of Almighty God because the terror of a holy God is going to remind us that we have absolutely no chance of talking our way into heaven, but the Passover lamb will be there. The fulfillment of it, the antitype of the type will be there who fulfilled all those Passover lambs. Josephus said in his time, at Passover, 256,500 lambs were killed in Israel for the Passover. You multiply that by 15, 1,600 years of the church of God into the Old Testament, it's an enormous amount. They threw my Savior around. They threw your Savior around. They busted Him in the face. But He never said a word. They blindfolded Him. And smashed him in the face. Slapped him. And said, who is it that hit you? He knew the number of hairs on their head. He knew everything about them and their ancestors. But he went docilely. Because he came to lay down his life for us. You talk about a good shepherd. How many shepherds die for their sheep consciously? If a shepherd knows that his flock's going to be in danger, he's going to put his flock somewhere else. Jesus came to die consciously for us as his Sheep. And Jesus fulfilled the morning and the evening sacrifice of Israel. They sacrificed a lamb every morning, every evening. Sabbath lambs every seven days and so forth and so on. 
That's the largest number. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. I hope that from John chapter 1, you saw that in that one chapter, Jesus is both the Lamb of God and a shepherd by finding Philip. He's both in one chapter. And so we want to learn the metaphors of the Word of God. And the metaphors are often based on sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds because that was one of their main industries. When Joseph was down in Egypt... And Pharaoh and he were talking, and Pharaoh and Joseph were talking about Joseph's family coming to Egypt. Remember the discussion? We're shepherds, and Egyptians hate shepherds. So we've got to find some rather secluded place that's good for flocks. And Pharaoh said, how about the land of Goshen? That's the delta of the Nile River. Hello? There's a God in heaven. And Brother Stephen read it to us from Psalm 105. Go look up the land of Goshen. But anyway, oh, thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is about the exclusion of the fornicating, incestuous man that had his father's wife. And they were to put him out so that they could keep the Lord's Supper without the sin of leaven or the leaven of sin in the church. And so that, giving you the context, verse 7 is, Purge out therefore the old leaven. Get rid of that publicly sinning church member, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. There's a perfect tense verb of an event that took place in the past that is still true in the present. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that Passover lamb of the first year. It could have been three months old, six months old, nine months old. A family would take a lamb, drain its blood into a basin, take that basin with the family and the children, and put that blood over the door. They would have had to have kept that lamb up, separate from the flock, for three days so that they would get attached to it, and then they would kill it. I'm not going to get off into other figurative types and shadows from that Passover lamb at the present time. But Jesus is the fulfillment. When I see the blood of my son, I'll pass over you. And we're in the book of life of the lamb slain. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Look at Revelation chapter 21 so that you can be certain of the name of this book. Revelation chapter 21. Thank you, Sister Amanda, for forgiving me for not mentioning you earlier. So I'll mention you now. Thank you for the efforts you made to arrange this. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it, that is the city of God, that is heaven, that is the heavenly Jerusalem. There shall in no wise, no wise, enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life. Because the Lamb, by dying, saved every name in the book of life. So it's called His book. And it was part of that book that was held in the hand of God in Revelation chapter 5 because when the Lamb takes it out of the hand of God, the songs that burst forth immediately are songs of salvation. And it's why John wept so much. John wasn't weeping so much for the judgment of the world. 
John was weeping so much for the salvation of himself and his brethren. Jesus fulfilled the Passover lamb, and the book of life is called the Lamb's book of life. Let's look at Isaiah 53 and verse 7. Isaiah 53, here's the lesson we want to learn about lambs. Lambs are silent when they're sheared or slaughtered. A bleat once or twice now and then proves the point. It doesn't alter the point. Exceptions prove general rules. Isaiah 53 and verse 7, He was oppressed. This is speaking about Jesus Christ, and He was afflicted. This is what the eunuch was reading in his chariot in Acts chapter 8. He was oppressed, and He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. They marveled that He could be silent on trial and not defend Himself. You know, everyone else on trial wants to do a whole lot of yapping to think that they can talk their way out of what might be coming. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. They don't make noises. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, that means they don't make any verbal vocal noises, so He openeth not His mouth. There's a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The eunuch was reading it and Philip was able to preach Jesus from this passage of Scripture. Lambs and sheep will allow themselves to be both fleeced or killed without fighting. This is very different from most other animals that will put up much fight and noise. Jesus did not revile or threaten those that tortured him before crucifixion. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. These lessons are throughout the Bible. I knew that it was a major subject. But I didn't know that there were so many references to sheep, shepherds, fleece, wool, lambs, rams, ewes, sheep coats, and so forth until this past week. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, who, speaking of the Lord Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. They called him names, mocked him, and reviled him, but he did not do it in return. Though that is in our nature, it wasn't in his nature. When he suffered, he threatened not. Could he have threatened? Would it have been a real threat? Did he know their future and the lake of fire? Did he know their future on earth? Did he know about the divorces they were about to get? Every detail of their lives he knew, but he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus did not revile or threaten. We are to have this spirit in the world, especially under cruel bosses. Do you know how you get to be like a sheep? By being like Jesus when you have a cruel or forward or obnoxious boss on the job. Because in this place, Let's go to verse 20. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? This is about on-the-job buffeting. Now, who was really buffeted? The Lord Jesus was. Buffeting is only verbal for you on the job. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? If you've done something wrong on the job, and your boss has reason to call you out. What glory is that? Second half of the verse. But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Patiently is cheerfully enduring the negative events of you being told by a boss that you didn't do a good job when you did a good job. Verse 21. For even thereunto, hereunto, excuse me, for even hereunto were ye called. 
This is what God has called us to do on the job because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, and on it goes. There's the lesson. Jesus was like sheep in going to the slaughter and not reviling or threatening or making any noise or resistance. We are to be like Jesus who was like a sheep when we're on the job and we are mistreated. We get to show the crucifixion power of the example of Jesus Christ by obeying Him for conscience sake when we are on the job. All from lambs and sheep. When Abraham was leading Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer his son as a burnt sacrifice, did they have fire with them? There's a man and his son. Did they have fire with them? Did they have wood with them? Did they have a lamb with them? No. What was Isaac's appropriate question? Father, where is the lamb? Do you know the answer? God himself, God will provide himself a lamb. What kind of a lamb or sheep did they find when Abraham had proved his faith by raising the knife of slaughter to kill Isaac? And God said, now I know you fear me because you're willing to give up your only begotten son for me. He turned, the Lord turned him and he saw a ram. What's a ram? Male sheep in a thicket. Look at Exodus chapter 13. Lambs redeem other animals. God from the beginning knew the difference between a ruminant and whatever they're called when it goes straight through. I forgot the word. I don't think I'll need it for any sentences this next week. Exodus 13 and verse 13. Dogs and pigs were unclean animals. And so if you had an unclean animal born that opened the matrix or the cervix of an unclean female on your farm, what, did, what was your choice? Remember? I, 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 love, I love this verse. It's become one of my top 40 in the last year. Exodus thirteen thirteen. Every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. So if you had an ass born, remember that little ass? You had to break its neck. And I hope that in the preaching in this church, you feel like I do. I'm the ass. My neck should have been broken in hell. But the Lamb of God redeemed me from what God would do ordinarily to an ass. Praise His name. It's in the Word of God. Lambs redeemed asses. And this was true for all unclean animals that opened the matrix. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We just sang a song, Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel has gone down to fetch up the Ark of the Covenant. And take it to the house of Obed-Edom. I mean, to, to get it out of Kerjath-Jerim. And when the Philistines heard that a, that a large group of Israelites had gotten together. And the Israelites had not gotten together for war. 
they had gotten together to get the Ark of the Covenant back closer to its home. But while they're doing that, the Philistines gathered together for war and the people were frightened. Samuel pulls out a sucking lamb. Verse 9, Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the next words are the most important. And the Lord heard him. And it goes on to say down here in verse 11 and 12 that Samuel named the place Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us because God thundered out of heaven that day and scared the Philistines and they ran away and the Israelites were just able to chase them and kill them from behind. And so we have Ebenezer. So when you sing that, a sucking lamb. Jesus was long past nursing, but he was still in the prime of life when he was cut off. And there was an earthquake and there was darkness over the whole earth when that great transaction took place. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, there were shepherds abiding in the fields with their flocks. What happened? They're with their flocks. You know, this was the main industry, one of the main industries of Israel for a couple thousand years. And the patriarch fathers of Israel. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Because sheep have to have a protector. They can't protect themselves. They need to be hemmed in, hedged in, kept in, with a wall or hedges of thorns to protect them from other animals. And they need shepherds there to to watch over them, help in the birthing process. The, the, The mortality rate of little lambs is very high. Shocking reading about it. And the risk of being a sheep farmer. And the efforts that have to be put into it. But there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Do you think it was bright? And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. And he goes on and describes the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and where they could find him. And as soon as the angels went away, verse 15, those shepherds determined that they would go in and see what they had just heard. And they told others about the things they had been told by the angels. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 19. But uh, what profession was first to see the Lord Jesus Christ? Shepherds were the first to see the Lord Jesus. Jesus is more than just a lamb. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at John chapter 10. You read it last evening. I've preached on John 10 before, verse by verse. That's not what I wanted to do this time. Jesus in John 10 is primarily the shepherd. And he's called the good shepherd. And he calls himself the good shepherd. Far superior to the Pharisees and other false teachers which are so prevalent today, the hirelings that are out there for making a living in the nonprofit profession, as we used to call it. I'll just read to you verse 10 and 11. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. That's the effect false teachers have on the sheep of Jesus Christ in their practical life. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, instead of owning, he's just an employee. He's a hireling. He's just working for wages instead of the profit of the flock whose own the sheep are not. It explains an owner's mentality right there in that verse. I've preached it before. Seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth because he's afraid of the big bad wolf. And the wolf catcheth them, that is the sheep, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And the next verse says, I lay down my life for the sheep. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is the ultimate shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He knows exactly what we need for the spiritual nourishment of our hearts and lives and minds and churches. And He blesses us abundantly when we keep Him first. And when we submit ourselves to Him and enter into His sheepfold, into His church, He blesses and keeps us so different from the hirelings. Jesus said in this passage, All that ever came before me, verse 8, are thieves and robbers. Pharisees and Sadducees, Levites, priests and scribes that were stealing the kingdom of God away from the people. Not only they would not enter in, but they took away the key of knowledge from the people, Jesus said, so that they could not enter in. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And he lays down his life for the sheep. And he's not afraid of any wolf. And there is a wolf out there that wants to destroy all our souls. And he is likened unto a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, but the lion of the tribe of Judah is not afraid of the lion called the devil. And the lion called the devil is afraid of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the good shepherd. I hope you know that there's many points that could be made, have been made, maybe will be made sometime. Is one lost lamb worth it? you and I would sit down with a calculator and say, maybe not. How about Luke 15? And let's see if one lost lamb is worth it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang that wonderful song. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out, far away, far off from the gates of gold. Luke 15 Verse 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Look at the kind of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think happens when I tell these people that write me about moving to Greenville and wanting to be part of our church that were nothing but a bunch of ugly sinners saved by grace trying to live by the Bible and help each other do it until Jesus comes for us? What do you think? It, how, did, how does it affect them? They say, you just described me. I'd fit into that church just perfectly. That's what they tell me. Because that's the truth. And that's what we're looking for. Those are the lost sheep of Jesus Christ. Then drew near unto him. I love this. All the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, 
saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now I hope you can understand the parable. There is no such thing as a just person that needs no repentance. But that's what the Pharisees thought about themselves. The entirety of Luke 15. Sheep, 100 sheep, one lost. 10 coins, one lost. Two brothers, one lost, comes back. The entirety of Luke 15 is to condemn the 90 and 9, the 9, and the older brother in the field. Because of the arrogance and self-righteousness of the Pharisees. I hope you can see it, because I can't elaborate on it any further than that. But that's what Luke 15 is about. Those 90 and 9 were the Pharisees. He's going to go after his lost sheep. But there is no such thing as a just person that needs no repentance. Jesus came after each one of us. You know, Brother Eric mentioned someone, a brother in our church, that does love the song, The Ninety and Nine, because he believes the Lord came after him. But every one of us should love the song, The Ninety and Nine, on the same grounds and for the same reason Brother Jerry does. One lost lamb was worth it. Lamb loss mortality rate is 20% today for sheep farmers. Before weaning, it's a costly matter of having sheep. Is wool white? Let me ask a better que- another question to help you answer that one, since some of you have never seen wool unless it's in a suit, and it's usually not white. Is snow white? Then look at Isaiah 1. See, they knew exactly what these verses meant and how powerful they were. We have to assume, in some cases, Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, that's bright red, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Wool is white. Wait wait till you see these dirty brown gray sheep, large, because that wool is thick on each side, though this isn't a very cold climate, so I don't know how thick it will be. But when it's zipped off, you're going to see some pretty white sheep running away, much lighter than they were when they arrived. Or a little bit lighter, because wool doesn't weigh all that much. But here's a verse that tells us that if we would come and humble ourselves before the Lord, He can practically forgive us and make our bright red sins as white as wool, as white as snow. What color is the face of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ and His hair? White as wool. Revelation chapter 1. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. White as wool. Face and hair. Not that tanned, European, long brown-haired caricature created by the devil and his Roman Catholic stooges. Jesus never looked anything like that crazy picture. Blasphemous picture. What did Jesus call himself in John 10? I am the good shepherd. Because he does good for his flock. As opposed to the hirelings that are thieves and robbers. 
But look at Hebrews chapter 13 with me. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 for another reference to Jesus as a shepherd. He's the Lamb. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb slain. Our names are in the book of life of the Lamb slain. But He's also got another designation as far as shepherd is concerned. Hebrews 13.20 Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Instead of a good shepherd, here's a great shepherd. Turn over a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll find another description of the Lord Jesus Christ as a shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter is exhorting ministers. Verse 2, feed the flock. Do you know how many expressions there are like this in the Bible? I told you how many. Between eight and nine hundred. Feed the flock. Lead them beside the still waters. Provide green pastures for them. Nourish them. Give them something to take home and eat for their health, strength, and sustenance. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Another reference to sheep. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's a reward for faithful ministers if they will not lord it over God's heritage, but will feed the flock of God and be an example of the truth of the gospel to that flock. But he's called here chief shepherd. So he's good shepherd, great shepherd, chief shepherd. Which one is true? Yes! They're all true. Thank you, Lord. Look at Psalm 80. While you're turning to Psalm 80, do you know Psalm 23? Does it start out, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he's a good shepherd. And he's a great shepherd. And he's the chief shepherd. It's a shame that most Christians today, even in what we would call decent churches, only know one psalm. Psalm 23. You hardly ever hear Psalm 23 from me, and I've got to admit this and confess it. It's a fault. I don't like it very much because it was abused by too much use. Of course I like it. They're wonderful words. But there's 149 others. The Lord, Jehovah, is my shepherd. We're little sheep. You can't defend yourself. You can't stop cancer. You can't stop a thief at night. If somebody wants to murder you, if somebody's going to hit your car today on the way home, it's curtains. But you've got a shepherd, and he's got a long staff. And his staff and his rod, they comfort us. And surely, goodness and mercy is going to follow us all the days of our lives. You say, but what if I die by one of those means? He has just blessed you. You're in his arms, closer and tighter than we are. 
Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. What a description of Almighty God, the Lord Jehovah, who dwells between those cherubims with their wings outstretched over the Ark of the Covenant. What does it say about Him? Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. We bleat. He hears. He protects. He's the great and infinite God, but He's called a shepherd. And you know I have a few references on that point as we pass on. I have a long list of points. What a shepherd he was. And when he needs to raise up a shepherd, whether that shepherd be Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle John or John the Baptist or this one, Cyrus the Persian. Do you know what he says of Cyrus the Persian in Isaiah 45? And or the, Let's see if it's... It's verse 28 of chapter 44. It's the last verse of Isaiah 44. God, the shepherd of Israel, said of Cyrus... He is my shepherd, a pagan king. Cyrus is my shepherd. Well, what's Cyrus going to do? He's going to tell all the Jews that want to go back to Jerusalem that they can go back and he'll pay for them to rebuild the temple of God and the city of Jerusalem and he will give all the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar took back to them so that they can take and use them in the new house of the Lord. Is that a decent shepherd? Which one am I talking about? Both. I'm talking about Cyrus the Persian, but there's a shepherd over him. Amen. Does our shepherd have good eyesight? Does he hear our bleeding and the bleeding of our children? And he's the great shepherd. He's not afraid of anything. And he's the chief shepherd. I'm as much his sheep as you are. Look at Isaiah 53, since you're close by. If you turn with me to look up Cyrus... Give me a couple more minutes. I've got way too much, but thank you, Lord. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Here's a fault with sheep. They easily wander astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. They are amused and excited and interested by the goofiest little things that will lead them away from the safety of the flock. All we like sheep, we've all done this, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We didn't want to live our lives the way the Lord told us to live. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because that turning away out of the way of righteousness is sin. It's not keeping the commandments of God. It's sin. It's iniquity. And we've all turned away from the way that we should have lived. And all that iniquity was heaped up for God's elect and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. David admitted and confessed that he had gone astray like a lost sheep in the last verse of Psalm 119. Do you know what happens when we are converted? When we repent and we come to the cross and we look for the Lamb of God and we believe on Him? And we trust Him. First Peter 2 tells us what happens. Here's how it's worded. For ye were as sheep going astray. We were like sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. How's that for a text? 
Do you like the Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd and bishop of your soul? And that when we repent and turn to Him and are baptized, we've come back to our shepherd. When Jesus sent His apostles to preach the gospel in the world, He told them that they were going to go out as what? Among what? Lambs among wolves. Luke chapter 10. Repeated in some other gospels. He told them that as the world had hated Him, it would hate them also. The record of the martyrs, like Jesus and Stephen, calling Jesus a martyr in this particular case, and for this purpose, they were lambs. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. How's that for meekness, going to death? Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You know, we're accountants. We're nurses. We're glass installers. We're construction workers. We're salesmen. We have all kinds of different jobs. We're office managers. We're pharmacists. We're business operators. But back then, many of them were sheep farmers, shepherds. And they understood the sheep industry. And they understood all these metaphors very powerfully. We want to understand them equally. Look at Romans 8, verse 36. Let's get 35 so you can see the context of the suffering of this church that was in the city, the capital city of the Roman Empire. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is he the good shepherd? The great shepherd? The chief shepherd, is he going to lose any of his sheep? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, would those things hurt a flock of sheep? If we were the sheep, would those things hurt us? Yes. Will they separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. These things do not move the child of God. And the period of the persecution of the church, especially the 1260 years of the dark ages of Europe, did not weaken the church. It strengthened it in character, though reduced in numbers. A little bit of that would help us today. Instead of all the prosperity and luxury and ease that we have. That's out of Psalm 44. Other references can be raised. The true followers of Jesus Christ will suffer persecution for godliness, but their shepherd is always with them. What are the people, members of a church called? What are the members of the kingdom of heaven called? Jesus, when he was talking to Peter in the last chapter of our Gospel of John, said, Simon, son of Jonah, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Other references. The Bible says in Isaiah 11 that there's a time coming. It says it in Isaiah 11 and 65. Two chapters in Isaiah. When lambs and wolves would dwell together. Past, present, or future? Yes. When did that prophecy get fulfilled? At the first coming of Jesus Christ. Can you think of a wolf? Saul of Tarsus. 
Can you think of a lamb? Mary Magdalene? Mary, the mother of Jesus? Did they get along okay in the church of Jesus Christ? Like a wolf and a lamb lying down together. That is not some future millennium. Go read Isaiah 11 and see if the context just doesn't jump out and grab you by the throat and say, I'm the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's very obvious. We don't have time to turn to it. But these passages in the Scripture, they would know without a doubt, we have to imagine that wolves and lambs don't get along because we know the story of the wolf. We haven't seen it. We've never seen a torn up lamb by a wolf getting a hold of it or an eaten lamb or a half-eaten lamb. The lambs and wolves will be together. The Apostle Paul, testifying of his conversion in Galatians chapter 1, says that they all heard that he which had persecuted the church now serves and preaches the truth and they glorified God in me. What had happened to that wolf? He'd been tamed. He'd been seriously tamed. He loved lambs. Do you know what he said to the church at Corinth? Now in this case, when he was the pastor of the church at Corinth, who was the wolf? They were. They wanted to devour him. Do you know what he says? He said, I'll spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. That is a wolf turned into a lamb meekly submitting himself to a point to the wolves of the church of Corinth. Jesus grieved seeing seeing his elect wandering around without pastors. He called it sheep scattered abroad without shepherds. Matthew chapter 9. Long before Numbers chapter 27, Moses had begged God for replacement for himself so that Israel would not be without a shepherd. And God said, get yourself up into the camp, lay your hands on Joshua, and put some of your spirit on him. He'll take care of my flock. A Jewish mob took the Lord Jesus, so the Bible says his apostles were scattered like sheep. Prophecy made, Zechariah chapter 9, fulfilled, Matthew 26. Matthew 25, the great day of judgment, What's on the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ when he sits in judgment? Sheep. Left hand? Goats. Difference between sheep and goats. The Lord made that great difference. In John chapter 10, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. How did Jesus get his sheep? They were given to him by Almighty God. And that great difference will be made up in the day coming. Does the Bible speak about wolves in sheep's clothing? We've had such a picture on our website in the past. It may still be there somewhere. We have a big website. Thank you, webmaster. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Because a sheep can't hurt anyone, but a wolf can hurt. So a wolf puts on sheep's clothing, and it sneaks into the churches of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned that false prophets would sneak in to eat the flock. This theme throughout the Old Testament about false teachers is common and made many times. 
And Paul warned that the same thing would happen in the New Testament. But the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, will be taken like lambs to the slaughter. Now there's a whole different set of metaphors about lambs being slaughtered, and it's the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be no more difficult for him than burning a lamb. Look at Psalm 37 and verse 20. It's worded this way. There are many references. I give you a few. Psalm 37, verse 20. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke. Shall they consume away. Ever had a little grease fire when you're doing bacon? The wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They're loud today. They're strong today. They've got the government behind them today. They've got the majority of the population behind them. They look strong. They're going to go away like smoke in a little bit of a grease fire from bacon, like lamb fat is consumed on an altar. This is how the Bible describes it. Our God is a consuming fire, and He burns up His enemies, and those that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ were consumed by the fires in Jerusalem that Titus had ordered should not be lit to preserve that city and especially the temple. But the soldiers by that point hated the Jews so much they would not listen to their commander and they burned that thing to the ground as much as it as would burn and they tore the rest apart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a king that made a marriage for his son and invited and when the messengers were abused and mistreated by those that they came, they, they were sent to to invite to the wedding, what is the culmination or the, the result of that? He'll destroy those murderers and burn up their city. And he burned up their city, the fat of lambs. Look at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. Would a man as great as King Solomon who had houses here and houses there, summer houses, winter houses, a thousand women, would Solomon ever have time to think about sheep? His building projects were enormous. Proverbs 27 and verse 23, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. You don't know about lamb mortality. Neither did I, and I still don't really. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. This is for all of you men, you businessmen, you professionals, you heads of households. Be diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs of the mountains are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing. So you better make sure you're protecting the lamb mortality rate. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. That's what gives a field value, in that a grazer or a browser can make money off that field. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance for thy maidens. This is King Solomon to his son, giving wisdom about constantly assessing your business, your profession, and your economic world that you're functioning in. And it uses lambs. 
Prosperity is by God's blessing. Look at Psalm 144. Psalm 144. I'm almost done with my abbreviated review. Psalm 144. We had our brother pray just a moment ago that God would deliver us from strange children because in this psalm, which is David's prayer for the church, that prayer request is made twice. It's in verse 7. Deliver me from the hand of strange children. And it's in verse 11. Deliver me from the hand of strange children. But that's not what I want right now. What I want is that when we call upon God to take away the unsavory, wicked elements of liars and those with guile out of our midst, we want this to be the result. Verse 12, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. Prosperity is by God's blessing. When you read through the whole Bible, you will find men like Abraham and others that were multiplied greatly to have enormous flocks. Jacob's problem of travel was he was too big to travel together. They had to break into two separate companies in order to be able to travel. It's all with the blessing of God. How many sheep did Job have? You should ask me a question before you answer. Before or after? He had 7,000 before, and how many after? 14,000 sheep. Psalm 114. We have two verses to go, and I'll quit. Psalm 114. If you want to laugh and be amused by God's creation, type in Skipping Lambs in a Google search box and click on Videos. They're crazy. They just dart around, boing, boing. I mean, they jump up high. Their four hooves will be above the other lambs' backs. Boing. It's amusing. Brethren, I don't know anything about lambs or sheep, but you know, we live in a time where there's more information available to us about things like this than ever before. You don't even need to go to a farm. You just need to go to YouTube. In 30 minutes on YouTube, you've seen it all. You can see sheep shearing, but it won't be quite the same. My mother grew up on a farm in Ontario, Canada, and she had sheep. And she's told me, and she told me a lot at the end of her life because the short-term memory disappears and the long-term memory becomes very focused. She reminded me repeatedly about running with the lambs. And I, sorry, I, I didn't despise my mother in her old age, but I thought there might have been a little bit of embellishment until I went to YouTube this past week. They just want to run around and bounce and jump and skip. And Mom did that with them, and that was one of her fondest memories of life as the Lord took away her later memory and took her back to her childhood. But I will remind you that he never took away her perfect knowledge of where she was going. And she wanted dad to take her out on the patio every single day. And she might not know who he was, and she didn't know who I was. Mom, I'm going to go see some skipping lambs. Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language... That's the Egyptians. 
Judah was his sanctuary. That was his house. Israel, his dominion. The sea saw it. The name of that sea. Galilee, dead. The Red Sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. Look at this verse. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Mount Sinai was altogether shaking when God came down on Mount Sinai. And look how it's described. What ailed thee, O thou sea that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan that thou wast driven back? The Jordan was divided for Israel to go in to the land of Canaan. Listen, what ailed thee, ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs? Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. He can make mountains tremble and dance, and He can provide you a drink of cold water in the desert. What a great God we serve. But I want you to notice, skipping like lambs. We, we didn't, I didn't know it till YouTube. One more. Habakkuk chapter 3. On this idea of skipping like lambs. Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet. It's in the latter portion of your Bibles. Of the Old Testament. Habakkuk, Zephaniah. All these are good verses. What what does it say David was doing when, as Brother Stephen told us earlier today, he brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the house of Obed-Edom? What was he doing? He was dancing with all his might. Was he skipping like a lamb? And skipping like a ram? Of course he was. He was dancing with all his might. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom. Habakkuk 3.17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Six descriptions of economic ruin. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. If God can tell us in Psalm 114 about skipping lambs, then I want to close with this particular passage that tell us no matter what happens in this world, we can dance on our high places because the Lord is our strength. And I hope that that will be the case because the shepherd is with us who was the lamb taking away all our sins and iniquities. We turned everyone to his own way, but the whole pile was put upon him. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. He wants us to have life and to have it more abundantly. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's everything from beginning to end. He's the door into the sheepfold. Does the Bible tell us that? He's everything. He said in John chapter 10, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, of this Jewish fold, them also I must bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Amen. Amen.